0: is the theme of forgiveness. Forgiveness stands very close to the heart of the Christian faith. And it stands uh, as a, a calling and an obligation for the Christian person. At the center of the Christian faith, we find not a doctrine, and we find not a moral teaching. The Christian faith, of course, has essential doctrines. It has, of course, essential moral teachings, but at the heart of the faith is a person, the person of the crucified and risen one. And who is this person? This is the one who, who when his disciples said to him, teach us to pray, he taught them, forgive us, Father, our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Now, it's possible to translate that. I don't like to do it because it's too terrifying. It's possible to translate that, Father, forgive us because, as you told us to do, we are forgiving. At the, heart of the cru- at the heart of the Christian faith is this mysterious crucified and risen one, whom the crowd lauds as Christ, Messiah, Savior, King, and Lord. And then just a few days later, the same crowd turned into a mob As he stands there bloodied and beaten, cries, crucify him. And this one, as they nail him to the cross, says, Father, forgive. And to the penitent thief who dies next to him, he says, today you'll be with me in paradise, which is another way of saying your sins are forgiven. After the crucifixion, while they're hiding for fear, He appears to them suddenly. He shows them his hands and his side. He shows them the wounds. Now they're complicit in the infliction of these wounds. They have all deserted him when he needed them most. And as he predicted, Peter on that night has denied him three times. There's a wonderful video that you can get by the uh, sometime Disney actor um, oh, De- uh, what's his name, last name is Jones uh, and uh, he was in the uh, uh, crazy Volkswagen movies but he was a serious actor and with his own money he did a one-man show on the gospel of Saint John. And There's a very moment in that presentation where the actor playing Saint John is praying and he's weeping and he says, Judas didn't know what he was doing, but we all knew. Jesus appears to them, shows them his wounds. And he says this greeting, this ancient greeting of the Jewish people, shalom. We translate it peace, but uh, it has such a comprehensive meaning. I mean, it's, it's, it really is the shorthand word for God's, reconciliation and restoration of all things which we know happens in and through Jesus Christ the Lord. And in the ancient world which was a world that was full of vendettas and that lived by an honor code that demanded blood vengeance. You know we hear, well we used to hear an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth and think that that was was cruel, perhaps now the world doesn't hear that as cruel so much anymore as we move into an age that is, I won't say post-Christian, but forgetful of its Christian heritage, an age where once again, vengeance is becoming valorized. But in the ancient world, when somebody appeared suddenly, they said, look, peace, no weapons, shalom. I'm, I'm not come to exercise, you know, vengeance for the vendetta. Well, they would, they would, they would well be afraid when he appears. For they had sided with his enemies. Well, they had run away. And shalom, he says. He breathes his spirit, his recreating spirit into them. Jesus Christ is the forgiveness of God, the costly, sacrificial forgiveness of God. Forgiveness is always sacrificial. It always involves a cost that is owed that you absorb yourself. And here God absorbs it all. Not only our offenses against him, but our offenses against each other, he absorbs it all. Jesus Christ is the forgiveness of God in person is the forgiving love of God incarnate. And if we would be his disciples and if we would follow him, we follow a crucified and risen master who is the personification of forgiveness. And he explicitly commands us. When you pray, say, Father, forgive, because we are being forgiven. We are being forgiving. Now, for most of the world's history and for most of the world's people, certainly there are witnesses to the theme of forgiveness in the Old Testament, but Jesus Christ is the forgiveness of God in person. But for most of the world's history and for most of the world's people, to forgive is dishonorable, to forgive is immoral. If your people have been offended, if your tribe has been offended, if your family has been offended, you are duty-bound to the vendetta. You are duty-bound to exact vengeance. You are duty-bound to regain the honor. In the ancient world, as for many people now, the man who says, turn the other cheek, comes across as either a fool or a person without honor. Now we, there are many issues here that that are too much to go into today. There are many prudential issues. We must restrain evil. We must protect ourselves. We must protect our families. We must protect our country. But here we stand in the, in the memory of uh, 9-11. We must do all of those things, but we must not become, we must be, not become full of hate ourselves if we are to follow him. We are commanded to forgive each other. Joseph forgives his brothers in, in the Old Testament lesson today. How is he able to do that? Remember the story about Joseph and his brothers? They hated him because he was their father's favorite. They were envious of the fancy coat the father gave Joseph. They plotted to kill him but decided at the last minute that rather than killing him, let's sell him. We'll make a little money on the deal anyway. Years go by and they go down into Egypt to get food during a famine and they don't recognize that their brother is now Pharaoh's right-hand man and saving the whole world from famine. And then suddenly he reveals himself to them, and they are terrified. Why wouldn't they be? And he forgives them. How is it possible? How is he able to forgive people who plotted his murder and sold him into slavery? How is that possible? It's possible not because of anything that his brothers did. It's possible because of Joseph's grasp his faithful grasp on what God has done for him. We are called to forgive. And Christian forgiveness has nothing to do with what the the person who has offended does. Forgiveness is one way. Forgiveness is not a feeling. If you wait until you feel like forgiving, you'll wait a long, long time indeed. Forgiveness is a decision. It's a decision to be faithful to him who shows us his hands and his side. And says shalom. We forgive because we have been forgiven. Um, reconciliation may come. Reconciliation is not one way. Reconciliation is two ways. The crucified and risen one stands before us this morning. He stands before us arising out of the words of the scripture and arising out of the liturgy of the Eucharist. He shows us his hands and his side. He says to us, shalom, he offers us forgiveness. That's all one way, that's all coming from God. It's nothing to do with us or anything that we've done. And then comes the challenge, will we reach out in faith and make our own, this forgiveness which is offered to us? And will there be reconciliation? Will there be a renewed relationship. Somebody may have done you great and grave harm, and it is um, in the eyes of the world outrageous that you should be called to forgive. Simon Wiesenthal, the great Nazi hunter, says it's immoral to forgive. Nevertheless, that's the Christian call. Nevertheless, That's the Christian call, and we forgive not because of anything the other party does, but because of the fact that we have been on the receiving end of an incalculably costly forgiveness. Uh, Perhaps it will lead to reconciliation. We don't know. That's in God's hands. if you've forgiven somebody of violence, it doesn't mean that you're supposed to put yourself in violence ways. Violence ways, again. Um, um, forgiveness and prudence are two different things. But the call to forgiveness is absolute. Forgiveness is powerful, and so is vengeance powerful. I've been reading with my family. A history of the United States. is called The Land of Hope, and I recommend it to you. You can get it on Amazon. It's a book for young people, but I'm being edified by it, and our family is being edified by it. We were just reading the chapter on World War I, and we got to the end of World War I. The peace treaty that was um, imposed upon the German people was a... Uh, despite the objections of some who were there, a a particularly punitive treaty. John Maynard Keynes, the great English economist who was part of the British delegation, wrote in his journal at the time, we are sowing the seeds for an even bloodier war which will surely come within 20 years time. And so it did. And so Hitler had the French sign an equally punitive treaty in the very rail car that the first one was signed. Vengeance is powerful. Ask the Israelis, ask the Palestinians. Vengeance is powerful. So is forgiveness powerful? It's just about, well, um, 14 years ago, uh, October the 2nd, I think it was, 2006, um, when a deranged milk truck driver killed 11 little girls in Nichols, Pennsylvania, in, in the one-room schoolhouse of the Amish community there. He, he shot 11 of the little girls, and five of them died, um, and when he had finished shooting the children, he shot himself. He left behind a wife and three children. The Amish community, whom some might dismiss as fundamentalists, They tried to be serious about following the Lord. While they were burying their own dead, went and brought food to the widow and the children of the gunman. And they didn't go once, they went again and again and again. They developed a relationship. Forgiveness, which was offered almost immediately, led to reconciliation. And after some years, the widow asked, how can I help? She is now a highly regarded practical nurse in the Amish community who specializes in taking care of the chronically disabled, including those whom her former husband shot. Vengeance is powerful, so is forgiveness powerful. When I was a child, I grew up in Northern Virginia. There used to be a wise crack that you couldn't go any further south than Northern Virginia. Northern Virginia, and I grew up with legal segregation. I remember being about five years old and going to a restaurant with my parents, seeing a sign that said whites only, and it scared me to death. I had to ask my father if was it was it okay for us to go in there. I didn't really know whether you believe it or not, you know, but I didn't know what it meant. I didn't know who white was. I didn't know what it meant, uh, I, but I knew it, was, I knew it was full of danger. You could feel it. It was an evil about it. You could feel it as a child. All of that's gone. Our country's not perfect, but all of that's gone, and that's a big thing. And it's gone in no small part because of a Baptist minister who had a message. Well, a message asking for justice, but a message also offering forgiveness and calling for reconciliation and warning people about nurturing hatred in their hearts. And his message was that love conquers hate. Vengeance is powerful, so is forgiveness powerful, so is it possible that forgiveness can lead to reconciliation. The gospel of Jesus Christ, of God's free and costly act of forgiveness is folly to the world, it's weakness to the world. But to us who are being saved, it's the wisdom of God and the power of God. And it's my deep conviction. I felt this so strongly when I was a chaplain at Ground Zero uh, about a month after 9-11, that if there's any hope for the human race, the hope is that we can find the power of forgiveness in the discovery of the level ground at the foot of the cross, where we stand alike in need and alike recipients of undeserved mercy and love. From that wellspring comes mercy and love and forgiveness and the motivation to reconcile. And to have a story that ends differently from the world's old story of vengeance and score-settling, but ends instead in the word that the Savior personifies, Shalom. In the name of God the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.